0: Drink wide, Vancouver. Canucks wrap up their road trip with a 4 2 win in Chicago. A game overshadowed by news just prior to puck drop that Phil Kessel may just be in the fold. We'll get to that later on. But first things first, we have a hockey game to discuss. Jeff Patterson joined on this episode by Farhan Lalji of TSN. Rinkwide Vancouver coming to you from our studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel. The Wall Center meeting space sets the tone for productive business events in downtown Vancouver. For more information, email sales at wallcenter.com com Farhan gets all the big assignments. Super Bowl on Sunday, and somehow you get a Canucks blackhawks battle to break down 48 hours later.
1: Oh, I'm telling you, this is this is the highlight, right? I mean, you know, this is a game Sunday, big deal, you know. And I'm and I'm going to do next Tuesday's game against Colorado. We were kind of joking that that's the the big game that I get over these next uh, two times on on rink wide here. But this was exactly what we thought it would be, right? We thought it was going to be a clinical victory by the Canucks. Honestly, it was weird that at the end of this game. They were, you know, Stanford has a chance, and we're thinking, holy cow, this game could like be a one-goal game in a second. They pulled their goalie, and and really, it's it felt like the Canucks dominated from start to finish. Yet there we were staring at what was kind of a, a potential game in the balance, even though on form it really wasn't. I'm not sure,
0: so sure that I share that uh, this thing was getting a little dicey for the Canucks. Uh, I, I think where for me it was was when they made it two to one and then Blackwell hits the crossbar uh, off the rush, and that was the turning point in really the ballgame. The Blackhawks hit a crossbar at one end, and Nils Hoaglander, who's on a nice little run here, three games in a row, seals the deal after some terrific work by Elias Lindholm. And, you know, it's not spectacular stuff from Lindholm, but it's one of those... You know, we also talk about the little things. Uh, beats his man to the puck, shields the puck, and allows Hoaglander to swoop in and, and tuck it home. And instead of it being a 2-2 game where the Blackhawks had been badly outplayed and badly outshot, the Canucks extend their lead to 3-1. And I think that was enough of a comfort zone. They added it in the third period. And look, they go 3-1-1 of the road trip where there was some angst in the market about the fact that this team wasn't playing all that well. The power play still a little bit of an issue right now. It's in a rut, but... This is what makes this team special this year, Farhan, is that JT Miller and Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser can all be quiet, essentially, on a road trip like this one, and Niels Hoglander rises to the occasion, and of course, for the better part of two months now, Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua, and to a lesser degree, Teddy Bluger have been there to pick up the slack, and that was the case again tonight. A Gordie Howe hat-trick for Joshua and Connor Garland with the first two goals of the hockey game to put the Canucks out in front 2-0.
1: Yeah, I mean, what can you say about the, that third line? What are we calling it now? I've, I've now heard it, the, li- the do we like the lifeline? Are we going to go with the good job boys like Daniel Wagner tried to no, get us on? No, we're, we're not doing that. But No, but is the lifeline what we've settled on with this group?
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not one that needs nicknames for lines, but it's hard to argue with the amount of life that that group oh breathes my into this hockey club. So, hey, yeah. if the name fits, then maybe we run with with the lifeline.
1: And, you know, as, as we talk about what's got to happen with this team, you know, in the offseason, right? And, and the suggestion of, hey, they got eight guys that are going to be unrestricted free agents at the end of all of this. Like, the Canucks better get Teddy Blueger and Dakota Joshua signed ASAP. Like, those two guys have been so good for this team – And when you look at what Joshua delivered in this game, right? I mean, he had a three-point night, finishes with the Gordie Howe hat trick. You you saw in that final shift with – or not the final shift, but late, three and a half minutes to go when Garland gets taken out. And it didn't seem like that bad of a hit. It's just going to look worse because Garland doesn't weigh much, and he flies into the boards with a bigger guy hitting him. And and Joshua, cheap shot or not, just went right after him and and certainly looked like he won that fight. I I just – and, and I'm not a fighting guy, but when you, you certainly t- his teammates are going to appreciate that that he's there to to defend his guys and, and do all of that. so when you look at what this guy has turned into and we didn't know much about him when they brought him in here last year and he had some moments and then even this year he winds up getting healthy scratched early on and you know you got the sense early even last year talking when he was talking about what this player was capable of, he really believed that there was something there. And now he has just lived up to that in so many ways. And when you you know when you look at his size and his speed and just his overall skill set, if you can't make something out of this guy, that's a you problem. Yeah. And Rick Talkett has made something out of him and and pushed the right buttons and got him on the right line. And they just can't break that lineup because we, we talked about Kessel and what the Canucks need in terms of top six forwards, and they added Lindholm, and are they still one more top six forward away? And Garland, theoretically, would be a guy you should elevate, but you just can't mess with that line.
0: Yeah, and you saw Dakota Joshua use his hands in a number of different ways, as you said, the scrap late in the hockey game. Nice patience off the rush in the backhand to make it a 4-1 game, his 13th goal of the season. So with 28 to go, 20's not out of the question. Uh, and then just a beautiful give and go with Connor Garland to open the scoring when the Canucks were skating circles around the Blackhawks off the hop, and you thought they better they better cash in at some point here because the shots ultimately were 12-1 to 1 in the opening 20 minutes, and the Blackhawks got their one shot late, the Canucks uh, with one goal. So the Canucks easily the better team in the first period, but they didn't have a lot to show for it. But in transition, Philip Hironik breaks up a pass in the neutral zone, and then the give-and-go, Garland to Joshua and back to Garland. Pretty goal. Connor Garland's first of two on the night, his 10th of the season, and that's notable because... Uh, With that goal, Garland became the 10th Vancouver Canuck to reach double digits on the season. You add in Elias Lindholm, who's done the bulk of his scoring in Calgary, but he's into double digits as well. That gives the Canucks 11 different skaters on the roster now with 10 or more goals. So again, they are deep. We know that they've got the top end, but on so many nights, it's been those guys a little bit lower in the lineup. And uh, tonight it was a bunch of them. Garland with two, up to 11 on the season. Hoaglander, his 17th of the year. And Joshua gets up to number 13 for him on the season. So really the depth guys come through on a night when Miller and Besser uh, didn't have it. The power play didn't have it. Uh, I thought the line of Pedersen, Lindholm, and Hoaglander did a lot of good things in this hockey game. They had a couple of really extended shifts where they were just moving the puck around and Blackhawks were chasing but ultimately, Pedersen doesn't figure in the scoring. Lindholm does get the assist on the Hoaglander goal. But what did you make of that trio? It, uh, it's five games now for Lindholm. He's been here, there and everywhere. He's kind of been uh, you know, plugged in some different spots. They're still trying to figure out the best possible spot for him. But what did you make of that trio as a, as a group tonight?
1: Yeah, I share your assessment, right? I mean, there wasn't necessarily a lot of output at the end of it all, but uh, they did have their moments. They were far more noticeable than the Miller line. You know, you talked about that that one shift. Uh, I think it, was about, it ended with about four minutes to go in the period where the Canucks spent two minutes virtually straight yeah. in that end. And uh, Pedersen had a lot to do with that, keeping possessions alive along with Hughes. Then they wind up getting a shift change at the icing and get the Miller line back on. But, you know, there, there were those types of shifts. And certainly the goal that Hoaglander winds up with, it was Lindholm who dumps it in and then gets in on the forecheck and doesn't touch the puck, but is able to protect the puck and free it up for Hoaglander to then make a pretty good play and a, and a nice finish. So, um, But it it does just underscore how important this third line is for this team because we have said that a lot in the last couple of weeks that we've, we've seen the top two lines perform, but at five on five, it's kind of been fits and spurts at various times, but you got that third line. They started the game again tonight because, you know, you want to set the tone with that first shift, but they score the key goals. They allow this team to relax. They allow them to kind of get their bearings and get into it. But, um, you know, I think you mentioned it on a, on a tweet that when you look at the Canucks' schedule, And the way it's set up, it's going to be hard for Lindholm to get a lot of practice time with this team. Yep. Right. There there just isn't enough of it right now. So, you know, they've got to just kind of rely on instincts. And I think Talk has done the right thing by putting that Swedish line together because you knew that Peterson needed somebody with some offensive skill more than what he was playing with, that he could potentially build some chemistry with, even if it's in game, not practice, and then elevating Hoglander up, who really did deserve the time. You know, he he deserves the increased role. There's, there's just no doubt. I mean, this guy, when you look at his numbers, I think you had something late in the second period where he's played like seven minutes, but he's kind of... Everywhere, right? In those seven minutes. And he's, he's all over the stat sheet. I, I think at that point, he had seven minutes and 10 seconds of ice time and he already had the goal, five shots and eight attempts, right? This guy needs to play more. So to put those three together, I think it's going to work itself out at, at, a, at a higher level. I really do. Um, but it's been great for Hoglander to play with more skilled players. It's kind of on on Petterson to kind of bring the whole group together.
0: Yeah, I mean, on the night, Hoaglander's final stat line is 10 minutes and 41 seconds of ice time. Almost all of it at 5-on-5, five five, You got a little sniff of power play time. 17 seconds, but uh, those statistics stand from the second period. Finishes with five shots on goal on eight attempts, but he also had that chance moments before Dakota Joshua scored where uh, Patterson moved the puck and, and Hoaglander in front kind of got twisted around but had a, a pretty good look or it looks, it looked like he was going to get a good look. Still... You know, in limited ice time, this guy finds a way to leave his fingerprints all over the stat sheet, and it's commendable, and And I think some of these other players lower in the lineup, you know, if you know, who knows what's going through Mikhail's mind, but it's now 22 games without a goal. But, you know, some of these other guys, if they're wondering about why are they on the fourth line, why aren't they getting more opportunities, you look at a guy like Hoaglander, it's not about logging 15, 18 minutes, it's when you get out there, Make the most of it, you know me, and do something. And he's doing it right now. And so he scored in three straight games, up to 17 on the season. It's a a remarkable run for Nils Hoaglander. And I can't imagine that he won't continue to get an extended look with Elias Pedersen. The question is, at some point, at some point, Farhan, They've got to throw him a bone and and put him out there on that second power play
1: unit. Absolutely, and the second power play unit got some time in this game. They started a couple of the power plays, right? And you know when you look at that third line, and ultimately the difference is is for the most part five on five ice. I'm not the third line, I should say the first the first line. But Hoglander sitting there at 10:41, Lindholm at 16:32, and Pedersen at 16:31. And Nils Hoglander has earned the opportunity to play similar minutes to those guys right now, right? And if you look at it, you know, just from a power play perspective, he gets 37 seconds in and, and, you know, those other guys are playing PP one time, which is over four minutes in this game. So um, yeah, look, there's, there's no doubt about it. He needs to continue to play more simply because he's earned the opportunity, right? This is not somebody we believe can do it. This is somebody who who shows that his his productivity at a 5 on 5 rates just in terms of his ability to drive play and generate is is really really good right now and and he needs to get more time.
0: Back-to-back wins for the Canucks following up the overtime victory in Washington with a 4-2 win in Chicago. 36th win of the season. They are 36-12 and 6, 78 Points Now they've opened a four-point gap over the Boston Bruins who lost in a shootout uh, on home ice to the Tampa Lightning. So the Canucks are four clear of Boston and six up on the Dallas Stars. Like they actually have padding atop the lead at the top of the National Hockey League standings. And this was their 30th road game of the year. They played more road games than anybody in the NHL. And uh, just a scintillating 18-8-4 away from Rogers Arena. They matched their home ice win total on the road, and that is one of the reasons that they are where they are in the standings. 18 road wins for this Vancouver Canucks hockey club, and this is another thing, too. Five straight out of the All-Star break away from home, and now, and I wrote about this at Canucks Army over the weekend, but the schedule, they still see a lot of the top teams in the West, so quality of competition, it's difficult, but... In terms of home ice versus road and time zones, like the schedule really now starts to work in their favor. 17 of their final 28 games will be played at Rogers Arena. And after this one tonight, Farhan, only five more games outside the Pacific time zone. And two of those come next week when they make a quick trip to Minnesota and Colorado. So they're knocking down the games outside of the Pacific time zone. And there is going to be some practice time for Rick Tockett. They've got that nine-game homestand in the month of March. But in the short term, they come home for two against Detroit and Winnipeg and then quick turnaround and right back out on the road. So, yeah, uh, Elias Lindholm is going to have to continue just to kind of feel his way during games, morning skates, warm-ups, whatever the case, because there won't be a lot of practice time here over the next week, but the schedule then will let off. And when it does, like all of those teams in the chase pack – They've got games to make up. They've got games in hand. It's going to be a compressed schedule for them. And uh, really the Vancouver Canucks, they've done so much heavy lifting, but uh, they are sitting pretty with 28 games remaining on their regular season schedule.
1: Yeah. It's still bizarre. When I look at it sitting there with a four point (laughs) cushion against a Bruins team that just took care of them handily coming out of the break. Um, But, you know, I think Sportsnet had a graphic today about just how good this team has been against the bad teams. Now, we know they've been good against the good teams as well. And early on in the season, that was the narrative that they're – who are they playing? And then they kind of solve that. But think of where this team would have been in previous years if they had just put together some better results – against some of the bad teams in the league, right? Like they were giving up points to teams well below them in the standings on the regular basis, whereas now they've got the third-best record in the league against teams that are below 500. So they're doing what they need to do, and and they're just doing it in a professional way as much as anything else, right? I mean, like I said, late in the game, you know, and you were right, you kind of called me on it. Like late in the game, we're thinking, how is this? like how are they pulling the goalie and, and still a close chance away? But really on form, the game just never felt close. So that does speak, in my opinion... A lot to Rick Tockett, right? And his ability to get their attention because, you know, not every game is going to be that rivalry game, that intense game. And you're going to have to to maintain a level of professionalism and focus even against some of those bad teams. And you're not going to face those bad teams in the playoffs, but a coach's ability to make sure he's got his team's attention, regardless of the stakes, really does make a difference later on in the season.
0: Canucks sweep the Chicago Blackhawks. Lots of teams are going to do that, uh, but the Canucks do what they had to do. That was the opponent in front of them, and they take care of business uh, at United Centre, and of course, without Connor Bedard as well. It's a struggle for the Blackhawks almost every night out. They've lost seven in a row, and they got their two goals, and that's a bonanza for them, but uh, I don't think they ever really threatened the Vancouver Canucks on this night. I mentioned right off the top that the shots were 12-1, to 1, uh, and the, the, the drama, maybe the only drama in this game really was would the Blackhawks get a shot in the first period? Because uh, it took until the late power play. And yes, they got one with about 30 seconds to go. Now, Thatcher Demko faces 23 shots on the night. He stops 21. He gets another victory. His 29th win of the year in his 39th start. And Rick Talkin has pushed just about every proper and correct button possible for the Vancouver Canucks. But, and I don't want to go deep on this one. This was a Casey DeSmith start. Like, Thatcher Demko has started 70% of the games for the Canucks into the All-Star break and then starts four or five on this road trip. Played well in Washington on Sunday, but they should have been a case. They've got to find Casey DeSmith some starts along the way here. Uh, Thatcher Demko didn't need to play and beat the Chicago Blackhawks tonight.
1: Yeah, I would agree, and they've got better games coming up. I mean, even in two nights when they're back home against Detroit, Detroit's gone 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. They've got the final playoff spot today uh, in the East. So this was the game. You're 100% right, and you don't want to wait – because, you know, until next week, and now you got the back to backs on Monday and Tuesday against Minnesota and Colorado, where you know he's going to get to play, but you would think Demco plays on Thursday. Demco plays on Saturday against Winnipeg at home on Hockey Night in Canada. And then you probably wait until that Minnesota game before you get to Smith Inn before coming back with Demco on the Tuesday against Colorado. So, yeah, there, there was no reason not to. Uh, you know, and I don't know if they kind of feel that they've handled him well enough in the early stages where, you know, now they want to try to build up his endurance or something like that. Like, I, I don't know if there's some sort of method behind the madness, but when we looked at the schedule, even though it wasn't a back-to-back, there was simply no reason not to start to Smith tonight.
0: They know what they're getting in Thatcher Demko, and, like, he is their unquestioned on number one. I understand that, but we've seen this. I mean, two years ago, they played him, uh, and they were in a chase pack then, and that was under Bruce Boudreau, and eventually they played him into the ground, and they do run the risk. Like, he's kind of, They, I, I think they've handled him just about right but I also think they've got a monitor and they're gonna have to find some starts for Casey DeSmith that you know maybe they'd like to play Thatcher Demko but yeah I mean you come home you got Detroit you've got Winnipeg you're out on the road it's Minnesota it's Colorado Boston's here at the end of the following week like that's another Thatcher Demko game and so all these big games against Western opponents sprinkle in a couple against the East as well This one just felt to me, and and I haven't had the opportunity to talk to Rick talking about why, whatever the case. They go with Demko, he delivers, as he almost always does, as we said, 29 wins now on the season. But he has started 39 times for the Vancouver Canucks. So just something to monitor as this team moves forward. Yeah,
1: there there weren't a lot of five-alarm saves that he had to make. There was one late in the period where he kind of went post-to-post and big groin stretch that I kind of held my breath on. And and the other part of it is, is that Smith has been just fine when he's played. And you can make the argument at some points that the team plays better in front of them, right? I mean, and that's that's not completely unusual with a backup where a team's got their attention a little bit more, right, because they think they might have to do a bit more. But, you know, I think this team and coaching staff has gained a bit of belief in DeSmith, so I don't know why it would have even been a hard decision. But anyway, here we are. They won. Not much to complain about.
0: Nope. Fair enough. Uh, maybe we're looking for issues. I just think it is something to monitor as the Canucks move down the stretch here with 28 games to go, 4-2. to They defeat the Chicago Blackhawks, and they go 3-1-1 and on a road trip where... Yeah, they didn't have their best for full 60-minute stretches, but that is the beauty of this team. They find ways on the nights when the Stars aren't going, that second layer is there, the goaltending is there, and the Canucks pick up seven of a possible ten points out of the All-Star break. So the beat goes on for this hockey club atop the National Hockey League standings. It's Jeff and Farhan with you. You're listening to Rinkwide wide Vancouver. A of goals from Connor Garland. He's up to 11 on the season. Nils Hoaglander to 17, and Dakota Joshua essentially seals the deal. Made it 4 1 early in that third period. 4 2 is the final. The Canucks defeat the Blackhawks. The Canucks with back to back wins to wrap up the road trip. They pick up points in four of the five games. You've heard from Farhan and myself, and our thoughts. Going to hear from Rick Tockett. You'll get a thought from Dakota Joshua as well. Lots going on around this Vancouver Canuck Hockey Club, and all the post game audio. On Rinkwide Vancouver is a presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneer of the no-appointment oil change. Now, all of their work is warranty approved, and they're providing tire service and sales, so it's not just about oil and lube. No-appointment needed, 16 locations across the Lower Mainland, and for one near you, go check them out on their website, mrlube.com. Well, Rick tockett has been pretty happy with his hockey club uh, all season long, and to add this one, the 36th victory of the year for the Canucks, uh, talking pleased with the way his guys performed at the tail end of this five game road trip. yeah, I thought it was a you know business like game. Um,
1: you know, I think uh, you no, know, I, I mean, I thought some good lines. I thought the Garland line obviously was really good. Um, I thought Juleson was really good first tonight. I thought he was it was excellent. So got our two points, you know three one and one, and uh, we get back home to Vancouver.
0: Yeah, coming on home, three one and one. so uh, hard to argue with that, seven of a possible ten points. And as we have documented throughout this, podcast that uh, it really wasn't a night for the stars. There were some moments along the way, but this was the worker bees. This was Garland. This was Joshua. More Nils Hoaglander as well. And Rick talked that again, the luxury of having so many guys that he can count on that uh, if their top end guys are held in check, others are able to rise to the challenge. And so often it is those guys on that third line. It's great because if, if some guys are getting some if they're in some slumps, other lines can pick it up. And I think the Garland line you know, if we have some guys that are not scoring goals, um, they can, you know, chip in. So, yeah, it's, it's just about, when you're in an A-2 game, you're going uh, to schedule, uh, schedule, you're going to have certain guys have slumps, certain
1: lines. And, um, you know, you, you pick it up, and right now they're picking up for us.
0: Well, the coach mentioned slumps there. Um, I don't know if I would call, I mean, for Brockbester, five games without a goal feels like an eternity. And Elias Petterson had uh, his moments on the road trip, scored in uh, Detroit. But, yeah, this wasn't a trip for Patterson and Miller and and Besser and, and Quinn Hughes, really, to carry these guys. And maybe that is ind- indicative of the fact that the All-Star uh, game was uh, part of the road trip, really, for them. I mean, it rolled right into the the game in Carolina. Whatever the case, uh, some of the guys that didn't have to participate in the All-Star weekend in Toronto, uh, they were fresh and ready to go and have uh, been so good for this Vancouver Hockey Club. And one of them, Dakota Joshua, with the goal, the two helpers, the Gordie Howe hat-trick uh, in all over. Uh, this hockey game, uh, Dakota Joshua in conversation with Kate Petterson of the Canucks after the game, just talking about uh, his night and the fact that so many guys are stepping up for this hockey
1: club. Uh, yeah, for the most part, we were, we were
0: good and on top of things tonight. We didn't uh, give them a whole lot and uh, we we're just able to, uh, you know, keep our composure and squeak out a win.
1: Garland's 10th goal of the season now means you guys are the first team to have 11 goal scorers with 10 or more what's so fun about playing with such elite offensive talent
0: yeah it's just nice that we have a deep team a deep offensive team and um, on any given night there's a lot of guys that that can step up and you can count on so it makes uh, everybody else's job a lot easier I don't know he talks about keeping the composure and then this is the guy that dropped his gloves so <laughs> uh, but uh, the question there too about uh, all the double digit goal scores, and it is fun and then again the, the, it is the depth of this team that you know, there are some teams if their stars aren't scoring they're not winning but the Canucks that's not sort of their M.O. that yeah you want Pedersen and Besser and Miller and they've been there most nights but on these nights when it's not happening for them they've got that next layer that uh, continues to come through.
1: Yeah, and this is where you got to give management credit, right? Because there's only so much you can do at the top of the lineup. When this team had the contracts it had, yeah, they had to make a decision on Miller over Horvat and those types of things. But by and large, the key players were here before they got here. It was the moves they made at the other end of the roster, particularly this offseason, that has made a massive, massive difference, right? And Joshua was last season. Bluger was this season. Suter was this season. They've all managed to fit and help, and uh, you got to give credit to Patrick Alvion and Jim Rutherford for this.
0: Let's get into the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. The three stars selected by the media in the building, a clean sweep for the Canucks, uh, Joshua Garland and Philip Hironic. And Hironic with two assists here, and he had the big game in Detroit. He had five points in uh, five games on the road trip. Uh, I don't think there's much doubt Dakota Joshua with the goal, two helpers, the s- scrap as well. So Gordie Howe trick his fourth fight of the year. He doesn't do it an awful lot. He hasn't fought, uh, hadn't fought since uh, a tussle with Jacob Middleton of the Minnesota Wild back on the December of the, the 7th of December. So uh, I've been a couple of months, but uh, Dakota Joshua all over this game in a variety of ways, using his hands and uh, coming through for the Canucks. So first star, uh, relatively easy selection, and his running mate, Connor Garland, is the second star for me. Not just the two goals, but six shots on goal on back-to-back games now. He had six in Washington, six more here. He scored against the Capitals. He scores twice against the Blackhawks. So uh, Connor Garland sort of coming into his own as well. Uh, late in this road trip, so a couple of good games. He follows up one in Washington with an even better one, more impactful one. So Connor Garland is the second star, and I'm going Nils Hoaglander. I mean, that's three straight games now that Hoagie has scored for the Vancouver Canucks, so it's not about getting chances and being around the puck. It's actually having a bottom line, and what a bottom line, 17 goals now on the season. So I've got Joshua Garland and Hoaglander as the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection.
1: Yeah, hard to argue with any of that, and I'm, I'm telling you this. This year, there's just no way they're breaking up that third line. (laughs) But when we get to next year, if Dakota Joshua signs, and he'll probably sign for more than the Canucks would have anticipated last offseason, given the consistency of production, Dakota Joshua is going to be a top six player for this team next year. Like a full-time top six player. And... If you watch the way he plays, like these aren't grindy goals that he scores. Yeah. He scores goal scores goals. When he's playing the give and go and setting up Garland, he has got tremendous skill. And that skill is going to be in the top six for this team sooner rather than later.
0: Vancouver Canucks defeat the Chicago Blackhawks 4-2. to we still got lots ahead here on Rinkwide. We're going to get into the listener feedback channels, your thoughts on this one, the stat that stands out, and, of course, Phil Kessel touching down in Vancouver just before puck drop. so uh, lots to get to there. We'll get Farhan's thoughts on Phil Kessel and where he might fit in and how quickly he might fit in for the Vancouver Canucks, so lots still to come here on Rinkwide Vancouver. Connects to the Blackhawks 4-2? It's Jeff and Farhan with your Rinkwide Vancouver. We're going to get to Phil Kessel talk in a second. Yes, sort of dominated as this game was going, uh, all the talk on social. Forget the hockey game. Uh, Phil Kessel's in town, and there was photographic evidence of him at the airport. Uh, before we get to uh, Phil, the thrill, though, a couple of things. have got to take care of some business here. We'll get to the stat that stands out, and... I don't know. I'll have to go back and audit at the end of the season how many times Quinn Hughes has been the focus of the staff that stands out. But pretty much every night does something. And this was a relatively quiet night, I thought, for the captain, but uh, does get the second assist on the 4-2 goal on the Dakota Joshua goal, plays it down low to Bluger, and then the centering pass. Uh, Thought for a second maybe Connor Garland had touched it, but no. So Quinn Hughes does get the assist there. And with it, joins Doug Lidster in fifth place. In all-time, Canucks scoring among defensemen with 307 points in his 337th NHL game. So far, it's taken him 337 games to become a top-five scorer in franchise history. And he's only 20 points away from moving past the guys that are ahead of him, aside from, from Alex Edler. So by the end of the season, Quinn Hughes is going to be number two with a bullet and have only Alex Edler to catch when it comes to scoring among Canuck defensemen.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, his his floor in any given game this year is so high, right? Like this is this is a game that like you said he didn't necessarily have to do as much, but there still are some some moments that all of a sudden he just takes over and it just happens right i mean whether it was that sequence at late in the first period where you know they had that 2 minutes of pressure and he was responsible for a lot of it you know there was the the one assist that he got there were just, there's just moments in any given game where he just he controls play he just makes something happen that just lets you know that he's that he's there that he's Quinn Hughes uh that he's arguably the best defenseman in the National Hockey League and and certainly uh, the unquestioned straw that stirs the drink here for this team
0: 24 minutes and 38 seconds, uh, four shots on goal, six attempts for Quinn Hughes. uh, Does pick up the assist and is on the ice. For a couple of goals, a uh, little blemish. Uh, he was the guy who gambled and lost on the Kevin Korchinski goal. Doesn't happen very often, but uh, again, we won't hold that against him in a season. Cut that, him, get him out, <laughs> trade that him. It's been magical for the captain, but uh, hey, we should point it out. We break down just about everything here uh, the Canucks do on Rinkwide Vancouver. But uh, yeah, moving into top five, 337 games into his career. Where will he be after another 337? Well, I mean, they'll have rewritten the record book a couple of times for For Quinn Hughes. So let's see where he tops out this season. It's been an incredible run for him. And every point that he gets is uh, just another point closer to rewriting his own record of last year with a 76 points. Quinn Hughes uh, picks up the assist as we
1: set up to 65 points now in 53 games. What do you do next year? What do you do next offseason? Because, you know, Quinn Hughes is very deliberate every offseason in terms of what he wants to do to improve his game. And this year it was the offensive end of it, shooting more and creating shots for himself um, and just being more aggressive that way, and it showed. So what's next?
0: I mean, it's just refining, I suppose, because uh, he told us all he was going to work on his shot. He did that. He's come back. He's into double digits for the first time in his NHL career in that regard. Uh, I think it is just some of those subtle little things. I'm sure he's got some things that he thinks he can work on you know, I can't imagine that it's his skating. His skating is as good as just about anybody in the National Hockey League. But imagine if he somehow decided he wanted to add another gear and get a little more explosive. We know what he can do in twists and turns and small spaces and all those types of things. But he'll continue to work in his craft because uh, that's what he does. And it's what sets him apart and, and makes him exceptional. All right, let's uh, get into the listener feedback here at Rink Wide Van. We asked you what stood out from a 4-2 win in Chicago. Jay says, with a little time to gain chemistry, that 23-40-21 line is going to be a great line. Looked really good in spurts tonight. We touched on that, and 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 I would agree there. Matt says nobody in the top six got hurt. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you know, but yeah, top six just kind of going through the motions. Let the third line carry the day. These guys need some more practice time to gel. Power play one isn't working right now. That is for sure. It went zero for four. And I think it's now 13, the last 13 earlier on the trip, it was given up shorthanded goals. You knew that they'd put an end to that bleeding, but it's more about what do they do themselves with the man advantage. And uh, they haven't done a lot of late. They haven't needed it though. Uh, Justin says, is there a point where Garland makes the OEL trade a win? He's driving the best line in hockey. It's a great question. Oh, Garland on his own with an OEL buyout. Is that a win? Ah, uh,
1: boy. the buyout's going to be painful. I don't like, think we're at
0: that point Yeah, but I love the question and I love the No, fact but like,
1: so, so let's ask the question. Let, like, let's say OEL was here. Yes. And a replacement level player. Okay, like just better than what he was a year ago, which he would have been because we know last year was so much to do with the injury, right? That he had never had a chance to recover. So let's mm-hmm. just say he became a four or five Defenseman number four or five defenseman, um, but you're not having that heavy cap penalty two years down the road for back-to-back seasons. Is it then a win?
0: But you still have his, But you still got his contract, which was an anchor, even if he had a you know replacement
1: level. Yeah, but they're going to be paying for portions of that contract regardless, right? As far as how it affects the salary cap.
0: Right, but if he was here and they were just paying him to be here as a four, five, six defenseman they wouldn't have had the flexibility to go and do some of the things that they did. So
1: I think. Because I look at, I also look at it from the standpoint of whether or not the Garland deal was an efficient deal, right? Because for the last two years, it hasn't been, right? You've looked at that deal as a deal. They want to move, not because the player wasn't fine five on five because he was fine five on five, but you just looked at it and you were like, we're paying way too much for that. And now all of a sudden, this is a player. that two years down the line, they're probably going to want to look at resigning. Yeah, right. Like think about it, right? Like him and Besser. Yeah, were on inefficient contracts, big time, and they're not now. And, and I know I'm digressing off the question, but um, you know that alone has kind of changed the narrative around this this team in terms of what it's going to do on March 8th, and you know, and just what is potentially going to do going forward because they found a way to get max value out of these contracts.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating way to frame that whole Garland-OEL trade. Again, I, I don't think we're there to call the Con- Connor Garland by himself declaring the trade a win. Of course, uh, Dylan Gunther is going to have a long career and score a bunch of goals for the Jim Benning-New,
1: <laughs> Jeff. Jim Benning-New. <laughs> Thank you, Jim.
0: Somewhere Jim sits back and watches all of these games, I'm sure, from afar. See, I told you. <laughs> Colin says, 3-1-1 road trip with the All-Stars sleepwalking for its entirety. Uh, there's an element of truth to that. Uh, JT Miller. I wouldn't
1: say 43
0: was sleepwalking. The forwards may have been. JT Miller and Brock Besser each had two points on the trip. Now, Miller's two points were both goals and they were both game winners. So, impossible to say that he didn't leave a mark on this trip. Brock Besser had two assists in the Carolina game and that was it. So, one five on five point for Brock Besser, who kind of quietly has gone these five games without scoring. His last goals were the hat trick goals against Columbus that got him to 30, Farhan. And, you know, again, a ton of mileage out of being a 30-goal scorer. But Brock Besser has scored in one of the last 12 Vancouver Connect games.
1: Yeah, look, and and we thought we might be immune from seeing that level of slump, right? Those are the types of numbers we've seen from Brock Besser every year that he's been here. But we just haven't seen the overall first half that we've seen. And I don't think he went more than four without one uh, up until this latest trip, right? So, um, I, th- I think you'll take it, given the consistency of his production prior to the All-Star break, or really the first half of the season. So, I, you know, I think he's going to find it again. I think he's still, you know, we're, we're still seeing shots. We're still seeing scoring chances. We knew, you know, everybody that was critical of anybody in the media that suggested there'd be a level of regression in terms of their shooting percentages as a club, right? We are, we are seeing that, but what you're not seeing is it happen across the board with the team. You're seeing it with one or two players, Unfortunately for them, they've got a third line that's been able to make up for some of the blemishes of the top two lines right now. But I, I do think Besser's going to get it back. We're not seeing a player lacking confidence because when we've seen it in previous years, the team has been losing. So that's added the weight to Besser, and Besser's one to feel that. And now he at least doesn't have to feel that.
0: Dunner on Twitter says, Garland, Bluger, Joshua, best third line in the whole league. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. There are some other productive third lines, but right now... Uh, those guys, and really for the last couple of months. Uh, he also says, beating the Blackhawks has completely lost its appeal. I miss the rivalry days of 2010-11, and I would agree with that, that there isn't a lot of glory in knocking off this Chicago Blackhawk team that may only win a handful of games the rest of the way. They'll get Connor Bedard back. He's back skating, possibly as soon as next week he'll be in uniform, and that'll help them, obviously, and it'll make them more watchable. But yeah, the Canucks are done with the Blackhawks. They took all six points available to them, so they did what they had to do, not a ton. I don't think there are a lot of people that are peacocking around Vancouver because the Canucks beat the Blackhawks in this one.
1: No, they, they won't. But like I said, off the bat, you know, this team is in, in past years has been known to stumble against the bad team. So you just, you kind of need to base it on their form. And there you look, you're right. Like watching this Chicago team play, there were moments in this game where it was painful, right? Three on one going the other way. The puck just can't settle. Um, there was just such little in the way of offense there that, you know, you're not stressed as a team, but they still found a way to, you know, score when they needed to. And and it it didn't look like a game where, you know, they, they chipped a few goals in and then slept through the game. I mean, I think this team generated and dominated the vast majority of this game, right? And I think Chicago is probably fortunate that it was 4-2. So you can only control your own process. That's what a coach will tell you all the time. And I thought the process was pretty good tonight.
0: Uh, all right. Speaking of processes, uh going to be fascinating to see what the process is for Phil Kessel. Arrives <laughs> on the ground in Vancouver, 36 years old, a right-shot right-winger that got into four playoff games for Vegas last year, has played for Rick Tockett uh, in Pittsburgh, and then again in Arizona. So he's familiar to the coach and to this management group. I do like the fact that the Canucks were proactive here. A statement from Patrick Elvin, albeit just a one-line, but... Just trying to tamp down, I think, some expectations. He's going to Abbotsford, and that's the place for a guy that has not played organized hockey for a year. If Phil Kessel is serious, and the fact that he's here in Vancouver and talking to the organization, I think that tells you that he wants to play. He is eight points away from 1,000 in his National Hockey League career. This is a guy that's played 1,286 career regular season games and 100 more in the playoffs, has had success. We know that, can score goals or at least has had the knack throughout his career. But I do like the fact that the Canucks are, they're basically saying to him, you know, you got to show us, you got to prove that there is still something there in that 36 year old body. That's going to make it worth our time and money to give you a place to play in the National Hockey League.
1: Well, and it's not just a place to play. Like, if they're theoretically looking for somebody to play in their top six, that means you need to be able to function and play minutes. You've also got a coach that is demanding in terms of what you want from the player at his own end of the ice, right? Like, this is a team that discarded a 39-goal score, right? Because he couldn't function at his own end of the ice. And we know that Phil Kessel isn't necessarily going to be the fittest guy, even on his best days, and have that level of pace. But he makes up for it with a certain level of responsibility, awareness, and guile in his own end, right? And then on the other end, he can find ways to score goals and score goals that important times. So, um, you know, like, uh, I I don't know what it's going to look like. At the end of the day, you want to make sure the contract he signs can be fully buried uh, in the American Hockey League if that's what they need, right? Uh, I I just view this as a really, really low cost bet. There's very little downside here, right? He's going to be expected to play a certain way and he's going to be expected to produced because that's the only reason he's here, right? He's not necessarily here for playoff experience and his 200-foot game and all of that stuff, right? He's just got to be functional in his own end, and he's got to be able to chip in on the other end. And the one thing he knows is how to score goals. He's shown that consistently throughout his career, and this team probably needs more of that. I mean, I I know where they're at. Like, we we all know uh, where they're at offensively in terms of uh, league rankings and things like that. You want depth of scoring. They're showing that right now with what the third line is doing.
0: I think and we saw this with Yessepul yarvi in Pittsburgh. You know, this is another benefit of having the farm team just down the road, that uh logistically it makes sense that they can get eyeballs on him right away. I am I, I think for me, I'm curious how quickly does it move from this point now? And when we talk about Phil Kessel, we generally don't talk about things moving all that quickly, uh certainly not on the ice. I don't think they need to
1: be in a rush though, right? Like this team no. is not in a for the same reasons we talked about why they should have played to Smith tonight, um they shouldn't be in a rush to To put him into the lineup, right? And um, and and quite frankly, the guys that are in the lineup, because you're not benching the guys in the top six. Like, you might move one of them down. Mm-hmm. Like, you might take Pia Suter for the sake of argument and say, okay, we're going to move you down to a fourth line, right? You could function in that role. Or Nils Hoaglander, you know, even though he's playing really well, if that doesn't sustain itself, you could potentially do that. But at, at the end of the day, they've got a cushion in the standings and there is absolutely no rush to get Phil Kessel in. And you might even want to wait. I think they probably want to, my guess is it's going to be about two weeks, right? And um, sometime at the end of February, you want to get him in because you want to give him three or four games before the trade deadline, because you want to see if there's something there, there. Uh, otherwise you need to address it, you know, in a, in a more meaningful way. But um, yeah, like I said, I I think they've got time. I mean, even if it's like 10 days to get to that, to get to that point where he can get four games before the deadline.
0: Well, and I hope he's willing to sign a PTO and play games in Abbotsford and and show and show that this isn't just about plug me in at the National Hockey League level. Again, this guy hasn't played anywhere in a year at this stage of his career. This is a league that's getting younger and faster by the day. I, I do think that there's a fair bit of this on Phil Kessel that if he is completely serious and the fact that he's here in Vancouver indicates to me that he is but there can't be any shortcuts expected. I think he's going to have to prove it, and I hope that uh, he's willing to play a couple of games in the American Hockey League to prove that the hands are there, that the feet are there, that, you know, where is his conditioning? That's always been an issue uh with this guy. But, uh, you think, again...
1: You think he cares about that anymore? Like, he's got to laugh at that. Like, I have played... Over 1,200 games, this is who I am, this is how I play. I've won Stanley Cups, and, like, th- take me for what I am. I mean, he can't be worse than he was before in that, in terms of fitness and things like that, but the standard for Phil Castle is a little different than it is for the rest of the class.
0: Sure, but in years gone by, he's been under the eyes of NHL teams when it comes to his fitness. Like, who knows where he's been and what he's been up to for the better part of a year now. And one thing to think you're in shape, another when everybody else has been playing 60 games – uh, to get out there and, and try to keep up. So, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly has people talking in this uh, market. And, uh, I mean, uh, where there's smoke, there's a lot of it now. It's not quite a fire yet, but uh, we'll see where it goes. Phil Kessel on the ground in Vancouver, headed for Abbotsford. And Can't was- wait for the first media availability. See how quickly he uh, suits up for the Abbotsford Canucks. Canucks didn't need them in Chicago. They may need some of that goal scoring down the stretch, and uh, veteran presence as well certainly has been through the battles, as we said, over 1,200, almost 1,300 NHL regular season games, sitting on 992 points. The Canucks defeat the Chicago Blackhawks. They're on their way home after a successful 3-1-1 road trip. Detroit is in, licking its wounds after getting McDavided. Uh, is that a word? I'm making it one. 6 Six assists for Conor McDavid in an 8-4 Oilers win over the Detroit Red Wings. So the Red Wings, their road trip off to a bit of a, a rocky start in Edmonton, but they'll be here. Uh, beat the Canucks on the penalty shot in OT the other night uh, at Little Caesars Arena. The rematch coming up on Thursday. Nikita fell eligible to come back into the lineup after his two-game suspension for the hit on Lucas Raymond. So uh, storylines abound as the Canucks get set to take on the Red Wings Thursday and the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday. And then it's his back out on the road. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Rink-Wide. For Far this is Jeff. The final score again, the Vancouver Canucks 4, the Chicago Blackhawks 2. You've been listening to another edition of Rink-Wide, Vancouver.